When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our Tuesday edition of the Orange Brown Talk podcast, the Hey Mary Kay edition of the podcast. Our Football Insider subscribers, as you can imagine, Mary Kay had a whole bunch of questions to ask following that performance by the Browns on Sunday in Miami. And this has sort of been something I think a lot of people are wondering. Look, everybody wants to put blame everywhere. And everyone's pointing fingers in all sorts of different directions. And I think we will probably touch on everyone in this podcast. But let's just start with this question from Anise Barner in Toledo, Ohio. She asks, hey, Mary Kay, how much blame does Andrew Barry get for the Browns being three and six? Well, you know, I think everyone in the organization does need to share in some of the blame for this right now. And I think uh, where they have to put some of it on the personnel department is they have to look at how they assembled this roster, how they assembled this defense and ask themselves, you know, did they set themselves up properly to be able to stop the run? Uh, Did they do enough at the defensive tackle position and, uh, you know, and at the linebacker position? And do they need to change their philosophy a little bit? They're sort of built for speed, uh, not necessarily uh, to stop the run. So uh, I do think they need to take a look at that. Uh, I also think that there are a number of guys that they felt were going to take big, huge leaps in their second seasons. Uh, you know, the the Jordan Elliott's, the Jacob Phillips, who he's now out for the season. Uh, there, there were a lot of guys that they just expected to pop, and that hasn't happened yet. You know, we'll see down the stretch how it goes, but, uh, you know, they have not gotten the production out of some of their young guys. And, you know, a number of them are draft picks. Yeah, and I, I think it the discussion kind of starts with that, right? Giving guys opportunities and how much of it was, you know, like it's it, – nobody's going to blame this front office for say, saying, oh, Jeremiah Wusukoromo is going to make a leap in year two, right? Everybody was feeling good about him. I think most people felt like Grant Delpit deserved a shot to kind of continue his development. He missed his rookie year. Last year was essentially his rookie season, and he showed some signs that maybe he could be something. Uh, The way they approached that defensive tackle position, though, with, you know, Jordan Elliott, who really didn't show a lot in his first two years. He wasn't a full-time player, but he did play. You go get Taven Bryan. It was really just sort of a shoulder shrug at at that defensive tackle position. I think there were guys that they counted on that maybe didn't necessarily merit at least not having a backup plan. And I think they're paying for that a little bit, you know, with Elliott, probably with, you know, some of the, uh, even on the offensive side, you know, Anthony Schwartz, um, you know, you can just go through the list of Metric Felton. There's there's some draft picks they've relied on who maybe he should have at least had a backup plan for. 
Yeah. And then also, you know, I think they really expected Perry on Winfrey to contribute a significant amount this season. And he has not been able to do that for one reason or another. He had some maturity issues early on, uh, you know, just trying to find his way in the pro game and how to be a professional. And, um, you know, he was a healthy scratch, basically. Now, he was ill throughout the week. So this one was sort of a combo scratch, a little bit health, a little bit of uh, you know, performance. But I think Perrion Winfrey was someone that they hoped would be part of the defensive tackle rotation and be making an impact by this point in the season. And, you know, that wouldn't have been too much to ask. I mean, some of their other younger guys are making a considerable impact and actually overachieving. I'm talking about Martin Emerson Jr. and uh, their third round cornerback and Isaiah Thomas, their seventh round uh, defensive end. So, you know, it's, it's not too much to ask a rookie defender to step in and do some great things, uh, but it just hasn't happened at some of the positions. Having said that, uh, you know, there are still a lot of young guys on this defense. Even when you talk about a Grant Delpit, this really would have been Grant's first year as a full-time starter from the jump, right? Last year was his first season, his first season playing after the Achilles, and he wasn't really a full-time starter. You know, this year he was called upon to be a full for a full-time starter. Same thing with Jacob, again out for the season, um, and Jordan, first time that he would have been a full-time starter. So even though some of these guys have been around for a little while, they haven't, you know, just been relied on to be the guy at their position until this season. And I think it was taking, at least it was taking the first half of the season for some of them to come up that learning curve. And then in, you know, in other situations, you just flat out lost a guy for the year. We're talking about Anthony Walker Jr. And then eventually uh, Jacob Phillips, his replacement. So lots of lack of continuity on the defense. It hasn't helped. Denzel Ward missing three games with a concussion, Jadavian Clowney, Miles Garrett. It's just been a very disjointed defensive performance. And then a follow-up question here, just sticking on Andrew Berry. Um, hey, Mary Kay, is Andrew Berry too patient with waiting for draft picks to develop? Well, they do give their guys the benefit of the doubt. There's no question about that. And one perfect example of that right now, of course, is Anthony Schwartz. They're giving him all the time that he needs. I get many emails about him. I see a lot of things on social media about him. And he takes so much heat. I mean, people are basically done with him. Um, but the Browns are not done with him. And we'll see. We'll see if that's the right strategy or not. This is probably, you know, mostly a lost season for Anthony Schwartz. You know, he's going to have to show something to come back next year and prove to them that he can be a player. It hasn't happened so far. And we'll find out probably by next year, if uh, if Andrew Barry is right and if he's hanging on too long. I don't mind them making that investment. Um, you know, Schwartz was – I've said this before with Schwartz. He was a top 100 pick. You know, you don't just give up on a guy like that. You obviously picked him for a reason and like him. There does come a point where you've got to make a hard decision, and if you have to – you know, sometimes there might be a guy, maybe you find him in free agency or he flashes in training camp who's just better – um, and, and then you have to make that tough decision. I don't think that guy was here in training camp. I didn't see anybody that was like, oh, you have to keep that guy. And, you, you know, keeping Anthony Schwartz means you're, you're letting a good player walk out the door. I, I don't think that's happened to this point yet. And also, we talked about this a little bit yesterday. I don't understand, like, you know, maybe Anthony Schwartz 
isn't going to be an NFL player. I don't understand why he gets so much heat, though. He hasn't, he hasn't really done anything wrong. He's just, he just hasn't produced. And it's, I don't know. It's, I mean, he shows up to work. He does his job. Maybe he's just not good. That's nothing to get mad at a guy about. I know. Isn't that the truth? Uh, these young guys out there trying to work so hard and come up the learning curve and people want to, you know, rip them and bury them before they really actually get a chance in some cases. But I think with Anthony, uh, it's been the fact that he has had some blatant drops, um, you know, a couple last season and then uh, this year in the Jacksonville game. Now, that was just a preseason game, but he did drop a couple of passes, and then he dropped a few in the Falcons game, I think it was. And, um, and you know, they were late in the game, and, you know, I don't think they necessarily mattered all that much. But, you know, he's also the object of those low-percentage deep balls, too. So who knows? I mean, maybe Deshaun Watson will be able to bring the best out in Anthony Schwartz on some of those deeper passes, and they'll be able to take more advantage of his speed when Deshaun gets back. I don't know, because those two did not connect in the Jacksonville game. They had their issues. Um, so we'll have to see. I mean, he's he's definitely someone to keep an eye on. Okay, next question. This comes from Jim Buddy in Pittsburgh, and now we're switching really to the defensive side of the football in general. Uh, Jim says, hey, Mary Kay, love your work. No punts yesterday. No turnovers. They did get the stop on fourth down. No real sacks. The only sack was against a wide receiver throwing a pass. Very little pressure on Tua. Gaping holes to run through all after a bye week. Is it poor coaching? Is it poor talent? Is it both? Why? why? Jim is just asking the big general question. Why did yesterday's defensive performance happen? Well, you know, I think you have to give some credit to the Dolphins, right? I mean, first of all, uh, we know what they do have, and we had talked about it all week heading in. Two is playing really well. I mean, he's the top-rated passer in the NFL right now, so this is not a mirage. They've beaten some really good football teams. And um, so, you know, that's part of it. They're really, really good. Tyreek Hill is good. Jalen Waddell is good. But then you couple that with, a brilliant play caller in Mike McDaniel. Almost a little eccentric, a little bit quirky, but really good at what he does. And you knew that he was going to come out and do something other than what they were uh, expecting and trying to shut down, uh, which was really Tyreek and Jalen Waddell. I had just said on a radio show before the game, and they were saying, do you think they'll try to run the ball at all? I'm like, yeah, they're going to try to run the ball. They will significantly try to run the ball because other teams have done it just like JJ three said on the conference call today on the video call that we had with him. uh, You know, we've put out there on tape that we can't stop the run. So until we stop the run, that's what we're going to see. So you knew that Mike McDaniel was going to do that. Um, You know, they also had a very motivated Raheem Mostert who uh, the Browns had here and they gave up on him. I've done a story on, you know, on, on him and how much he, he loved it here in the short time that he was here. Uh, so they had some guys that were, you know, ready to go out and, and do what they do well. And um, and so the Browns, you know, they just weren't necessarily ready for it. Even if they were ready for it, they were basically powerless to stop it. And if they were going to uh, take away one thing or do one thing well, uh, you know, then they could go to these five other things. And that's what Mike McDaniel did. If, if you were going to cover Tyreek Hill – they were going to spread it around to a bunch of other receivers, and they did that. They got touchdown passes out of 
touchdown catches out of three different receivers yesterday, only one from Tyree Hill and none from Waddle. So they relied on other guys, and it was just a really good game plan uh, by the opposition. So, you know, and then it's matchups. It's a game of matchups. And their defensive line kicked the butts of the Browns' offensive line. I mean, that's one thing that happened, right? Now, it didn't help matters that Wyatt Teller could only last not even all the way through the second possession and that Jed Wills was ailing, I think Jack Conklin too a little bit. Um, that that defensive line, I mean, they played really, really well. They had a good game plan. They were stout up front. And I'm telling you, that looks to me like a really good football team. I asked that of Miles Garrett yesterday. I said, are, are these guys, you know, just way better than maybe you guys anticipated they were? And he said, no, they were what they, they thought they were. But I'll tell you what, Dan, they were not exactly what I thought they were going to be. They were better than I thought they were going to be in several areas. The running game, for sure. Uh, the trenches, the protection, right? I mean, they really did a phenomenal job on on Miles Garrett and Jadavian Clowney. So I just think that they were outplayed and outcoached yesterday. Yeah, and they are among the the few team the teams that run the ball the fewest. Even after yesterday, they're still in. It looks like the bottom third of the league, and they haven't had their bye week yet. Uh, which is which is worth noting because all these games are uneven. So they they don't run the ball very much as as far as attempts per game, and this sort of felt like I think Ashley might have written this after the game. This sort of felt like the Chargers game too. Like here's a team that doesn't love to run the football, but they looked at the Browns and said we're going to run the football. Mm-hmm. And this was a question about the defense, but I think that speaks sometimes to the frustrations with Kevin Stefanski, and I know this can be a sensitive topic for people on Twitter about running the football, but it does feel like sometimes, you know, the Browns go into situations where they face a team that, and we talk about it on this podcast, this team can't stop the run. They're terrible against the run, and the Browns just kind of give up on the run and never actually test it and never actually attack what appears to be a weakness of the defense like Mike McDaniel did on Sunday. So, you know, we've talked about Stefanski. I, I think we're both on the same page, and there were some questions about him that we'll get to. Um, I don't think you can fully judge him until we see what he looks like with Deshaun Watson. But seeing what Mike McDaniel did kind of flips things a little bit when you you look at Stefanski and you kind of say, could you just try a little more to, to attack weaknesses like that? Yeah, and yesterday was was kind of weird because Nick Chubb, I mean, if you look at his game, He only had 16 yards rushing in the first half, okay? He ended up with 63 yards rushing, but 33 of those yards came on his lone touchdown run. So on the rest of his – oh, I don't have it in front of me. On the other how many ever runs that he had, maybe you could look that up for me real quick, uh, he he only gained, you know, 30 yards. So that – is, you know, a horrible average. So they were doing a really, really nice job of shutting down the run. Again, as I mentioned before, it didn't help that Wyatt Teller left the game on the second possession and Jed Wills was struggling. Um, but, yeah, they it was tough sledding. I mean, Kareem Hunt gained nine yards on six carries. Jacoby Brissett was the second leading rusher with 40 yards. Okay, so that kind of tells you Uh, the way that it's going, but then you have to adjust. I do think that you have to adjust, but in a game like this, 
when you fall behind, it does get to very difficult not to need those chunk plays. It's, it's hard uh, to try to stick with a run that isn't working when you're falling behind the way that they did. I mean, and which is exactly what they knew they couldn't do. They knew they couldn't fall behind and they started out great. I mean, you know, with the, with the kickoff return and the long pass to DPJ uh, to get downfield in a hurry and score on their opening possession. That was great. But then they went on to be outscored 24 straight points after that. I mean, you know, it was just, it was really bizarre to watch how the, um, the Dolphins did to the Browns what the Browns did on Halloween night to the Bengals. They imposed their will on the Cleveland Browns, and the Browns had no answer for them. They were the ones that imposed their will this game. Nick Chubb had 11 carries on Sunday. So that's yeah. the that's the number. Um, so ten, I guess, is the, is the number you were ten for thirty. For. And okay, he, and he did fumble as well. He had a, a costly fumble um, too. Yes, so we'll also include that. Back to the defensive side, though, and again, I think this speaks a little bit to the team building side of this discussion, and that is, you know, I think this has been a theme a lot of this year. When I look out on the field and I don't see Miles Garrett and I don't see Jadavion Clowney. This team does not produce a lot of pressure. Uh, you know, Alex mm-hmm. Wright hasn't done a whole lot. Isaiah Thomas has had a moment or two. He's He's been okay. But, like, when it's – you know, there were times yesterday when I looked out there and I saw Alex Wright, um, Isaiah Thomas, Roderick Perry, and Tommy Togiai. And you, you just know, like, before the, the ball is even snapped, like, two is going to have all day to throw it. Mm-hmm. And – that. You know, I think that speaks a little bit more to that team building side of like, couldn't could you have added a little more depth instead of relying so heavily on a guy in right who's pretty raw? Like, we shouldn't expect Alex Wright to be Miles Garrett. It, it, he's going to take a little time, and also Isaiah Thomas, same thing. He was the day three pick. You know that that's an area where like, man, they could just use one more. You know, they really miss a guy like they had Tack McKinley last year, who was that third edge rusher. And they just don't really have that guy right now. Well, they hoped that Chase Winovich would be that guy. They hoped that Chase was going to be this year's version sort of of their tack, that you could get maybe five sacks out of him, okay? I mean, that would have been ideal. I mean, if you were, if you look back to last year, Miles had 16, Jadavian had nine. I think was that the year that Tack had five yeah, he, half, had a, he had a good year last year. Yeah, so five and a half for him. So that, you know, that's what you expect or expected from a chase. So I think they thought that they were kind of covered uh, with a veteran in chase and a rookie in Alex who had they had really, really high hopes for. And, um, you know, chase was injured much of the season and wasn't able to live up to his expectations. I mean, he's back now, but I don't even know how much he played last night, if at all. Um so that didn't go as planned, but that's kind of been the theme on defense this season is that nothing really has gone as hoped or planned. It really hasn't. I mean, all the way down to Miles Garrett being locked in for what everybody expected would be his best season. And then lo and behold, he has a really bad accident and is lucky to be alive right now. And, you know, he can't necessarily play. 95% of the snaps. 
Now, I did ask Kevin Stefanski why Miles Garrett and Jadavian Clowney only played 44 snaps. I remember looking back in Miles' first few years, and he was playing 85 snaps a game sometimes. I mean, just like an insane amount of snaps. 44 snaps is not a lot, but Kevin Stefanski explained that he did that because of the heat. They were trying to keep those guys fresh in the heat. Um, but it's still, I don't know, it just still seemed like, I remember you and I sitting next to each other and saying, Miles isn't out there again, right? I mean, it seemed like, you know, as it turned out, a fair amount because he played 64% of the snaps. And, it, it, you know, it used to be that he was playing 85, 90% of the snaps. So we'll have to see how that transpires going forward. I think some of it, too, is those guys are both coming off injuries. They're getting healthier, but they've been a little bit banged up. And, you know, I think that has something to do with it as well. But just nothing has gone the way they expected on defense this season from JOK getting hurt and not sort of being the dominant linebacker they thought he would be to Grant Delpit you know, kind of taking his time to heat up a little bit and not immediately contending for the Pro Bowl in the first half of the season the way they thought maybe he would. Um, Just all those kinds of things. And there haven't been enough of those, you know, surprises. There have been some surprises. I think Martin Emerson Jr. can be considered a surprise. He, I think he's exceeded expectations, and so has Isaiah Thomas. But other than that, and, and Sione Takitaki, to, to a degree, he's jumped off the page a little bit at linebacker. But for the most part, it's been, you know, wondering when this guy is going to show up instead of being surprised that this other guy did show up. Yeah, you know what? I, I think the Miles and Jadavian playing time question is an interesting one. Um, and, I, and I'm glad you asked about it today because – I understand, I understand the explanation, but I also feel like, like, this is it, man. It's go mm-hmm. time. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, yes. You want to keep guys fresh and I understand it's hot and, you know, I- I'm sure they have some data backing this up. And uh, again, this is a very data driven sports science organization, but like, I don't know. You, you've got to have miles out there as much as possible. And, and some of that too, some of that number is probably just garb. Like they probably didn't want him out once the game was over. It's like, okay, we're not going to put him out there, but the game was still in play in the third quarter. And when you and I were sitting there watching and he was only coming out on third downs, like there's no way for him to develop a rhythm. There's no way for him to like that stuff matters for an edge rusher. And it's just, yeah. I don't know. I, I think he's got to play more. And I think JD has to play more too. Yeah. 44 snaps. Just did not seem like enough for either of those guys. Uh, knowing, you know, that I, I just recall back in the day thinking sometimes that he was playing too much and that they were, you know, wearing him out too early back then. But uh, 44, certainly those guys can play more than 44 snaps each. And with the sort of drop off in talent, talent level after them, it, against Tua and these guys, you needed the, those guys in there more. So I do second guess that one myself. Okay, we're going to take a break, and then when we come back, we've got more questions, including the big question on everyone's minds about the coaching staff. We will get to that on the other side of the break. And back on the Orange Brown Talk podcast, the Hey Mary Kay edition, the Browns losers in Miami, backs against the wall, heading to, of all places, Buffalo. Uh, we'll talk. Of course, the Bills have been struggling. Uh, they've lost a couple games in a row. 
Um, but that, that game against Minnesota may be the best game of the year. Frank in Whitewater, Wisconsin. Uh, here we are. This is a, a November 14th question when a team is three and six. Hey, Mary Kay, how bad does it have to get for ownership to decide that a coaching change could be warranted? You know what? I, I kind of wish that people wouldn't start going down this road <laughs> because they really have no plans whatsoever. Uh, to have Kevin Stefanski on the hot seat, to fire him, to make a kind of change in that way. I mean, let's think about this. He's never had uh, his quarterback yet. I mean, Deshaun Watson hasn't even started playing yet. So why would you do anything like that uh, before you sort of hit the jackpot that you've all been waiting for? So absolutely not. It's not part of the thinking at all. And uh, he's firmly... Uh, in their plans, as we asked Andrew Barry at the bye week, he said we feel you know we would make this hire all over again, and we feel just as good about him now as the day we hired him. I mean, that certainly hasn't changed in the last five days. You know, I mean, this game didn't do anything to change that. I do think that um, you know it is difficult when you're not scoring touchdown passes through the air. You know, I mean, when you're not throwing touchdown passes, Jacoby Brissett has only thrown eight touchdown passes. I mean. If a team takes away your run, you know, it's they don't really have that to go to. So that's going to change when Deshaun comes back. The way that you call the whole game is going to change when Deshaun comes back. So now is not the time to start thinking about firing the head coach. Yeah, I, I think it would have to look really, really bad in December with Deshaun Watson um, to, to even consider a change. I, I mean, they made this move. I will say this, though, and I think this is important to note, and this was after you had left the pod yesterday, so I'm curious what your reaction is, because this was more about Joe Woods. But to me, like, once this season is over, whatever the result is, whatever happens, like, the time to play nice is, like, over. The time to, like, it's time to be cold. It's time to be calculating. It's because, like, you didn't give up three first-round picks and pay Deshaun Watson $230 million and take all that on to go into next year thinking, well, maybe we have the right guy calling plays. Maybe we have the right defensive coordinator. You did it to win the Super Bowl. So you've got to feel really good that every single thing is right heading into next season. And it's, it's kind of like gloves are off now. Like, like I said, there's no more playing nice. It's like everything has to be aligned because you didn't do all this to go – nine and eight next year. Right. And and the other thing to, thing to consider about this is that uh, this was basically a lost year out of Deshaun's contract. I mean, it counts, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, this was one of his years and, you know, they're going to be very, very hard pressed to make the playoffs. Really the only way I think it can happen is if they do go out and beat the bills and the bucks. And as miles mentioned, no, that's, it's not impossible. It's going to be difficult, but it's certainly not impossible. I mean, Josh Allen is coming off a game in which in his elbow is bothering him too. It's coming off a game in which he threw one touchdown and two interceptions. So his last two games, his last two times out, he's struggled. I mean, the Jets beat him. They got to him. 
They rattled him. They pressured him. And I think that, you know, Miles and, and Jadavian are eager to see what they can do and to get after him. And again, it's a game of matchups. I mean, if you can block those two guys without a lot of extra help and get plenty of guys out running routes, um, you know, then, you know, then that's a good matchup for you. So, you know, we'll have to see how that goes. But, um, but yeah, I, I just think that, uh, you know, it's, they, they do have a chance to win these games and Josh Allen is not perfect and they're not crazy to think that, yeah, maybe somehow, some way they can keep this going for when Deshaun gets back. Yeah. I mean, look, it's the NFL. Anything can happen in a given week. We, we've seen it over. I mean, a few weeks ago, the Titans went into Kansas City and almost pulled off a sun, an upset on Sunday Night Football with a, a guy playing quarterback who's, who's not ready. And mm-hmm. like, so anything can happen in this league. And so, yes, the Browns can go. You, you just don't know until, until you go play the game. You just don't know. A Miles Garrett strip sack or a Denzel Ward interception or something like that could completely change how that game looks uh, moving forward. So it's not impossible. Miles is right. It is not impossible. Is it probable? That's a different word, but all you need is that one little percent. You just need that one little percent in this league because these are all professionals and and they can all go and win a football game. All right, Mike in Frisco, Texas. Hey, Mary Kay. Why is it that the offense consistently performs well on the first drive and then invariably fizzles out, lacks continuity, and is ineffective. This is a pattern this coaching staff hasn't been able to overcome. Yeah, I mean, the the script usually goes pretty well. It went about as well as could be expected yesterday. I also think that they missed David Njoku yesterday, especially like in the blocking realm, you know? I mean, there were times when uh, they really needed his blocking, both in in pass protection and, and the running game. So I, I thought they really, really missed him. And they're going to be very happy if he can come back and play uh, against the Bills. So, um, so yeah, again, it's just, it's, it's such a game of matchups and that that's the whole key. You know, you just have to make sure that you're able to attack the team's weaknesses, but you're right. There are times when I, when I wonder at halftime, Oh, what are they going to have in store for the, for the opponent? And sometimes you don't see enough halftime adjustment on both sides of the ball, just those brilliant. Oh my goodness. And there's not a lot of time. I mean, it seems like, you know, that 12 minutes goes really fast, but still um, I think they need to pick it up a notch in the adjustment game. There had to have been some other things that they could have done yesterday to, um, you know, to, to move the ball on the ground. I, I don't know what it would have been. Uh, you know, maybe you try a, a couple of jet sweeps or reverses or whatever the case may be. But, um, it, yeah, coming off the bye, it just didn't seem to me like there was enough there in the game plan to, you know, to match wits with Mike McDaniel. He's brilliant, you know. I mean, you have to have something in your bag of tricks for him. Um, but, you know, I think the other thing is, uh, you know, you're dealing once again with a, a somewhat limited quarterback, especially in the passing game, a somewhat limited quarterback. And then Nick Chubb fumbled the ball. You know, it could be a different football game 
entirely if they hang on and score there. That was the 12th play of that drive. They were at the 30, at the Dolphins 30, and they had an opportunity opportunity to break the 7-7 tie there and go ahead. That whole sequence at the end of the first half, and then, of course, the Dolphins deferred and came back out and double-dipped and got the, the score on the first drive of the second half. But the end of the first half was just a disaster. And that's when I look at a situation like that and I think, I don't know that that would have happened if that's Deshaun Watson at quarterback, right? Does he take that sack there on third down necessarily? I mean, maybe. Deshaun does take some sacks, but he can make up for a lot of ills with a really great arm. Now, having said that, I have a caveat on that. I still don't think they have enough receivers, good receivers. I still think I still think they're missing a Pro Bowl caliber receiver. Uh, I don't think Amari can be your only guy that operates at that level when you have a Deshaun Watson. And I think that has got to be a priority in the offseason. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the, the thing is there's just so little room for error. So, like, you know, the texture's right. The, the first 15 has been really good for most of the year. And then after that, it does bog down. I think we've seen that over and over again. And then you just throw in something like the Nick Chubb fumble. Um, and those things happen, like things like that happen in football, but sometimes you're a team that can overcome it and sometimes you're not. The Chiefs yesterday lost the turnover battle three to nothing. They turned it over three times. They didn't force a single turnover and they beat the Jaguars by 10 points. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens when you have Patrick Mahomes, you know, the best quarterback in football. Yeah. So Deshaun Watson helps you overcome some of those things. You know, he might take that sack on third down, like you said, because he, you know, he does take some sacks, but like he's going to make up for it on the next drive or two drives later. At some point, he's going to make a play that we're not even going to be thinking about that sack or that fumble. Yeah. And you know what? And, and I do ask, and everybody always says, oh, it's not the offense that's the problem. It's the defense. Well, you know, they, they do go hand in hand. I mean, it is complimentary football. It does go hand in hand. And when your offense is doing certain things, uh, then your defense has a tendency to look better, you know, when you're, you know, when you're scoring points, points on the other side of the ball. I mean, think about this. Jacoby Brissett threw his eighth touchdown pass in nine games. Now they have been scoring a lot of touchdowns on the ground, but not a lot through the air. And you can't be that one dimensional. I mean, you just cannot be that one dimensional. Um, when they go up to Buffalo, Josh Allen, albeit again, he's struggled his past two games a little bit. He's got 20 TD passes this season, and that is number two in the NFL. And that correlates to, you know, to winning games. So, you know, and, and I say this because when Deshaun comes back, a couple of those touchdown passes sure makes up for a fumble mighty fine. Okay, uh, another question here. This one, uh, I think we kind of just touched on on this, and it might be something that people don't want to hear, but it's kind of the truth. But Al from East Palestine, Ohio. Hey, Mary Kay, what would you say to a fan that's just tired, tired of being disappointed and tired of waiting till next year? Well, right now, and again, there are so many other things that go along with it and so many layers to the whole Deshaun Watson story. But from a football standpoint, I would say to a fan like that, uh, that is tired of the losing and tired of bad football, that if you want to see some good football, I think you're probably going to see it when Deshaun Watson comes back. And I think you're going to see it from him. 
again, I, it'll help a lot if Deshaun, if uh, David Njoku's back, because I don't think they have enough quality pass catchers out there. But um, but he's an elite quarterback, and that changes everything. I mean, if if Tua wasn't the quarterback in that game, or if, if Josh Allen, you know, if they were going up to play, well, I don't want to say Case Keenum because I like Case Keenum so much, so I'm not throwing Case under the bus. But the quarterback makes an enormous difference uh, in this league. And I just think that, you know, that's going to just change everything. It's going to change how they call the game. It's going to change the defense. It, it will change everything when they're scoring points at the clip. I think they probably will. Yeah. Again, look, the Deshaun Watson thing is complicated. And, and like I said, there's a lot of fans that don't want to hear like Deshaun Watson is your reason for optimism because they, they don't want that to be the case. And I understand that and like completely get that sentiment, but that's, again, why the Browns gave up three first-round draft picks and $230 million and why they're not going to care that much if that draft pick next year is a top-ten pick. Uh, because you go and get Deshaun Watson because on the field, if he's anywhere close to the quarterback he was, not even in 2019 but just or, or 2020, but just throughout his career in the NFL, mm-hmm. if he's anywhere close to that, you will, you will see the difference. You will see, like, oh this isn't what a good quarterback looked like. This is what a, an elite level quarterback who can, you know, he's not Patrick Mahomes, but he can go toe to toe with Patrick Mahomes. You know, he can, he's right there with Josh Allen and whoever else, Justin Herbert. He's in that, he can be in that category of quarterback and and you will see the difference and it will make this football team better. Yes. And that is so true, but I'm thinking back to uh, an answer that Amari gave this past week when we, you know, when someone asked him, what's the difference in Tua? And he was like, Tyreek, right? I mean, <laughs> Tyreek and, and Jalen Waddle. I mean, you, you have to have really good guys like that catching passes for you in the clutch for the quarterback to live up to that potential. And I, I still have my doubts about the Browns' ability to do that. I don't think they supplied him with every single thing they could have uh, from a pass catching standpoint, I mean, you're basically relying on now. Donovan Peoples Jones has had a terrific season. He really has had a very nice season. He's taken his game up to the next level. But I still think they need uh, they need one more Pro Bowl caliber wide receiver on this football team uh, because I mean, like even when you think about the whole like speed factor, you know, all the Browns were worried about was the speed of Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill. I mean, the Browns have a guy with speed, but he's not catching the ball, right? So their speed guy doesn't catch the ball. And I don't know. I just feel like like they're leaving themselves short and that Deshaun's going to get out here and he's going to be like, oh, well, what do I, who am I going to throw the ball to in this situation? Or who's going to make that clutch catch for me in the red zone? Or who's going to, you know, I mean... They, they do have an eclectic group of pass catchers, but those young guys are still really young and not up the learning curve yet, right? I mean, they're just not right. there yet. Now, maybe maybe when Deshaun comes in and with his exceptional arm talent, all of a sudden you'll see David Bell will pop. Maybe, maybe that will happen. I mean, he, he is catching what comes his way for the most part, and maybe he'll get more targets. Maybe Michael Woods will turn into you know a really good rookie receiver when Sean comes back, maybe Anthony Schwartz will 
catch the ball and make an impact. I, you know, I don't know, but I mean, right now we're talking about three receivers that aren't doing much of anything. And, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's going to be enough. Yeah. I, they need to add one more dynamic. Like again, David Bell, I think there's potential there, but he's not explosive. He's, right. he's a possession guy, you know, four, six, 40. Yeah. He is who he is. They need to figure out a way, whether it's free agency, whether it's a, a second round draft pick, and they might end up having a pretty good, right? They have, they have their second this year, right? Yeah. Yeah, I thought so. Um, so, you know, that might end up being a pretty good pick. Maybe they can find a guy there. There's a lot of second round receivers who are pretty good, uh, including potentially one that they passed on this year. So you can find a guy. They, they just need one more dynamic receiver, I think to pair with Amari Cooper, just another guy that maybe, maybe is a little different than Amari. Maybe he's a little more speed than, than technician. Um, and, and I think you, you could really have something there with DPJ's development and then with whatever you can get out of these young guys. Yes, absolutely. So we'll, we'll see. I mean, you can't expect miracles out of Deshaun Watson is what I'm trying to say. And he does have, again, he'll have Dave Njoku. Um, he'll have DPJ and he'll have Amari. And he'll have David Bell to a certain extent, but that's it. Okay, last uh, last one here. This comes from Dave in Strongsville. Hey, Mary Kay, John Johnson says it's time to cut it loose. Shouldn't that be the case every game? What does he mean? Well, I think, and he again, his uh, his comments I think hold a lot of weight because he has played on a Super Bowl team and for a really good defense. So I think you know when he speaks, we do listen. And he's saying that they played with some hesitancy. He's saying that they played uptight. And he says, now we've got nothing to lose. It's time to cut it loose. Like, you know, really just go out there and, and have fun and, and, you know, let it all, let it all go and leave it all out there. But I think what happened is I think that they made so many mistakes early on in the season that, they did start to worry about making mistakes, right? Like there were so many blown coverages, missed assignments, missed tackles, and all of those kind of things, mental errors that I, I think they, they got to the point where they were just thinking. They were thinking. And I know that Joe Woods dialed the defense back and tried to make it simpler, um, but I think that's what I think that John Johnson's trying to say. All right, now everybody's been here long enough. You're a professional. You know how to make a tackle. You know how to cover a receiver. Uh, go out and be aggressive and and just, you know, go all out. Go all out and give it everything that you have and have fun and play the game that you've played since you were little and stop being uptight about it. And I, I thought that was a pretty significant interview with him today. I thought it was really good. Yeah. He's like you said, he's one of those guys when he talks, you listen. Uh, Cause you know what? He's got nothing to lose. <laughs> he's right. He's gotten paid. He's, he's a, he's a, a leadership position. He's the green sticker guy. Um, when he talks, it, it means something, which I think it meant something a few weeks ago when he talked and, and kind of stirred some waves. Um, he made some waves with his uh, comments about taking work home and maybe some guys need to do that a little more. I, I thought that yeah. was, you listen when John Johnson says stuff like that. So we'll be, yeah. go ahead. He's only one of two guys 
I think, on the defense that are willing to talk like that. It's Miles and it's JJ3, right? I mean, they're willing to stand up there and say, hey, we have to do this. We have to do that. This is, you know, this is what needs to happen next. Here's how it should look. Here's how it needs to go. And he's a vocal leader. And I think that's good. I, and I think guys respond to him. I think it's important to have veterans. And I think that's one of the reasons why it's the guys who have made their money, you know, some guys who have families sometimes, guys who are sort of guys who like, hey, this, this really is like their job. They aren't just, hey, happy to be in the NFL. This is like, no, this is my this is my nine to five. This is like my meal ticket. I've got kids to feed. I've got a pension to earn. Like it helps to have veterans like that who are in a spot where they can be comfortable, but also still have that sense of urgency of like, hey, you guys who are 21 years old and just happy to be in the NFL, this is how we do it. And the Browns don't really have a ton of those guys, especially on the defensive side. Yeah, no, they really don't. Um and yeah, I think that is a little bit of a missing element. And I thought that maybe Deion Jones would come in and bring a little bit of that. And Anthony Anthony Walker certainly uh, was that guy. But you know, you, hanging around, you know, the locker room injured is vastly different than being out on the field with these guys. So even though he's still there and has a presence, uh, his veteran leadership is missing. And I've seen it over the years. It is vitally important to have those guys. Sheldon Richardson. I mean, Sheldon Richardson grew up in the game. Uh, You know, he really had to mature and find his way. But once he did, he had this real old school, really old school, cool way about him where he knew the locker room rules. He knew how to keep guys in line. He knew what to say. He knew when to pull somebody aside. Uh, There was just a vibe, right? And I do think that, you know, they could use a few more of those guys that are a little bit more vocal, a little bit more old school, a little bit more, you know, in the prime of their career and not so young. Okay, there we go. Our Hey Mary Kay edition of the Orange Brown Talk podcast. We got a ton of questions. Uh, I think we covered a lot of the general topics that were in there. Uh, But if we didn't get to your question, we apologize. I hope we covered a lot of the big things from Sunday's game that lost to the Dolphins. The Browns head to Buffalo this week to take on Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills, who are scuffling a little bit. We'll see if the Browns can keep that going or uh, if, unfortunately, their season could potentially not officially end, but uh, I think that would be about it on Sunday. Like Miles said, Mary Kay, they've got to win the next two. (laughs) And uh, yeah, yeah, I I think he knows what he's looking at here. Uh, Okay, Mm -hmm. like I said, that'll do it for this edition of Hey Mary Kay. Those questions came from our football insiders, cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page. And of course, make sure you subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen, especially on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And leave us some nice reviews. We always like to read the, the nice reviews from folks. Mary Kay, I'll talk to you later. Sounds great.